Hello, I'm John Cameron, and welcome to Musicology. Um, I think what inspires my music as a whole, or, or me as a whole, is following my heart. Um, being honest is my only job, um, and I never uh, underestimate people's ability to follow or deem my truth as being relative. I want a rim shot, hey, dig it, dig it, a rim shot, hey, come on. Erica Badu cannot be defined by anyone other than herself. This is Erica Badu, also known as Badula Oblengara, also known as Sarah Beth. Also known as Analog Girl in the Digital World, also known as Manuela Maria Mexico. Some people also know me as she Growing up in Dallas, Texas during the 1970s and 80s, her exposure to a broad range of genres and quality would be indicative of the sound she would eventually pursue, and that sound would be in line with a more sophisticated fashion in pop music during the 90s. I heard music from the womb. Being born in 1971, by the time it was 1978, hip-hop was in the mainstream on radio, so uh, a fusion of hip-hop and um, soul music. Maintaining a style that is distinctly her own, she's managed to synthesize the best of her past and present influences into an exceptional catalogue of music, and a persona powered by innate artistic inclination. Well, I was an artist. I mean, my religion is art. From the time I was a kid, I was either in dance class or theatre or making paper doll clothes or doing something pertaining to art. It was where I shined. In the mid to early 90s, along with her cousin Robert Bradford, aka Free, the two as Erica Free would create a 19-track demo tape as a showcase of her talent. I, uh, I was in a group with my cousin Free. We were called Erica Free. I was an MC first, and he would uh, mail me cassette tapes of beats, and I would usually rap over them. Some of it would become her debut album, Barduism, one of three in the holy trinity of what would be dubbed as the neo-soul genre, along with Maxwell's Urban Hang Suite and D'Angelo's Brown Sugar. Just one time I decided to write a song and it was Apple Tree. And that was 1993 or four, and we decided, well, we may have something, because people liked it and thought it was unique and different. I'd like to dedicate this to all of the Creator's righteous children. I have some food in my bag for you. Not that edible food, the food you eat? No, I have some food for thought. Since knowledge is infinite, it has infinitely fell on me. Beginning with a declaration of wisdom, Badu begins qualifying the parameters for those she surrounds herself with, and at the time young lady asserting a beautiful allegory of alliance. It was a stormy night, you know the kind where the lightning strikes. While the original demos were less polished, this album version of Apple Tree retains much of its original essence. Dry, hard-snapping beats with a smooth but pronounced bass line. Most of its melody is carried by Badu's R&B, rap, jazz fusion vocals, with the rest of the space filled by some debonair keyboards. I have a home, and I take it everywhere I go. Around 
trying to be with I'm not I don't waste my time trying to get what you got I work it pleasing me cause I can't please you And that's why I do what I do My soul flies free like a willow tree My grandmother always told me to pick my friends like I pick my fruit. And if you don't want to be a positive influence in my cipher, then you can kick rocks, basically. And if you don't want to be down with me, you don't want to pay for my apple tree. And if you don't want to be down with me, you dumb, dumb ditty. And if you don't want to be down with me, Erica's demo tape would make the rounds throughout the music industry, with Badu often travelling with it. See, I was a teacher before I was a coordinator. I taught theatre, dance, science, and I was working on music at the same time. I just had to, you know, keep going, so I told the kids I was going to New York. And I came to New York with a backpack, I went to every major label, performed, brought my jam box. I was playing that jam box I would stand on this ledge as a as a stage. I made sure I opened the window so I can have New York behind me, plug the box in on the floor, and perform on and on, or apple tree. The people that got it, got it. The people that didn't, didn't. Eventually, it caught the attention of Kira Massenberg, who was D'Angelo's manager at the time. She was then signed to Universal Records, where throughout 1996, Baduism would be crafted. When Kira got the demo, he said, well, we're coming to Dallas. D'Angelo was performing, which was one of my favorite. I was inspired by that. Kedar said, you can open for him. I said, okay. <laughs> and then Kedar called back a couple of weeks later and said, no, nah, it's not going to be a good idea. And I was like, you a lie. I've already told my mama, cousins. <laughs> this is going to happen. And it was the first time that I was aggressive, you know, because I'm super assertive when it comes to um, things and I don't have to push my way into anywhere eventually I'm a slow burn my smoke just kind of gradually gets to the place it needs to get to I was aggressive that day and I think that was probably the last time I was aggressive in this career and I'm glad I was because he saw me perform and he had no doubt so I felt like this is where I need to be because my music will get the attention that it needs during this time Erica and D'Angelo would work together on a cover of the Motown classic Precious Love first introduction to her as it was released on the High School High film soundtrack just a couple of months prior to her actual debut. Brandy a lot, the I Wanna Be Down, and Dark Child, you know, producer. And then I remember Nas, it just came out. And then uh, Biggie had just come out, Ready to Die, Nas Illmatic. And it was all around that time that I was creating. So I had such creativity in the air that it was uh, motivating. Mary J. Blige had come out with a seven hour of my life. And um, I just kind of felt like I had to do something that are, that's different from these people so much because in, I know that I have to make an impact in some kind of way and I can.
just took my hip hop influence. I was an MC first, and I applied it to the way I write uh, and the kind of music I choose and the beats that I make, and um, just created something that I felt would be really ill. I liked it. The first single release from Barduism would be a revamp from that initial demo tape. As a debut, it's perfect. The music is everything that would make the newly defined genre of neo-soul great, and its lyrics are ones that could only be penned by Badu. She's expressing exhaustion at the world around her, a symptom of the rush of information she's about to relay. Peace and blessings manifest with every lesson learned. If your knowledge were your wealth, then it would be well earned. As the structure of the first verse begins, we're greeted with the primary theme of the song. People are rewarded with their attainment of knowledge. Their wisdom is a measure of their worth, giving us all the potential to be equal. This is reaffirmed by the second half of the verse. We're all our own gods, if we want to be. And while higher intelligence is correlated with a likely rejection of piety, a man still faces another man, empowered or awakened by their own omnipresence or self-godliness. What I meant was, when I say I was born underwater, that means in the womb, with three dollars and six dimes, that's 360 degrees. That means completion. 360 degrees is a complete circle. I was born complete. Yeah, you may laugh, cause you did not do your math. Like one, two, three. Damn, y'all feel that? Oh. Like one, two, Door keeps turning. Oh, what a day! What a day! What a day! Building upon concepts of knowledge from the first verse, she notes that those who are intelligent questions their intelligence. The more you know, the more you know there is to know. The man that knows something knows that he knows nothing at all. Does it seem colder in your summer? While there might be hints of the 5% nation throughout its lyricisms, 
Knowledge of the nation of gods and earths arguably isn't essential to the interpretation of these lyrics. The more Erika Badu's work is analysed, the more it becomes apparent that the wisdom expressed through her music is a combination of ideologies. Bob Powell would produce the album version of On and On, taking it from Erica's original Raw demo, while Badu would later express her preference for the original, this version would become her first number one on the R&B charts. The original version was very, very, very raw, very B-girl, and um, Bob felt that it needed to be sonically a lot clearer and, and these kind of things, but I liked the rawness. And at that time, I don't know if they really could appreciate the rawness of a R&B singer because that's what I was categorized as. This version has live guitar, live bass, and different things stacked on top of the original loop. You know, the original loop is a lot raw. You can hear the static and um, just the um, imperfection of it. And it went very well with my imperfect voice. But I'm glad that I did it like this because it wouldn't have been this if it hadn't been done like this. So. Despite the album reaching practical completion by the end of 1996, Badu still felt there was an element of her influences missing. I love the roots, you know, I love the jazz aspect of what they were doing. It was um, a continuum of what A Tribe Called Quest was doing, and I was just into that sound. It was very familiar to me. Uh, I felt like we were from the same tribe, and once we met, we all kind of just gelled, and understood each other. I think they just related to my feel. The kind of music that I wanted to put out hadn't been in mainstream radio. It's not that it hadn't existed. It's almost like I poked a hole in the dam, allowing all the water to flow through that was, had the same frequency, you know, because it was there. We were there, we were doing music like this, but it wasn't in mainstream radio. The now most recognisable track to arise from those sessions, Other Side of the Game, is another on the album centralised around a complicated relationship. The first verse is an introduction to the turmoil Badu is facing. She loves her boyfriend, but is expressing doubt at continuing the relationship. The second verse elaborates on the complexity of the situation. Not only has Erica known her boyfriend for what seems to be since college, but they're also expecting a baby. Like any responsible parent, her concern grows as the consequences of his actions could resonate on her and the child. But what else does she have? God, I can't stand life without you. Now me and baby got this situation See brother got this complex occupation And it ain't that he don't have education Cause I was right there at his graduation mm. Now 
saying that this life don't work But it's me and baby that he hurt Because I tell him right he thinks I'm wrong But I love him strong mm-hmm. He gave me the life that I came to live Gave me the song that I came to give Pressure on me but the seed is grown I can't make it on my own Summer came around and the flowers bloomed He became the sun, I became the moon Precious gifts that we both received But could this be make-believe? displays a delusional resignation, a reliance of protection by God and the monetary security provided by staying put. Don't worry, baby. I know that's confusion. God's gonna see us through, yeah. Peace after revolution. But we pray, though, perfected on the album was complete. Baduism is the perfect debut for any artist, let alone for someone as unique as Erica Badu. The album would be nominated for four Grammy Awards, winning two, rose to the top of the US top R&B hip-hop albums chart, and has since been certified three times platinum in the United States. It's part of a group of albums that would propel the neo-soul genre as something other than clever branding and established Badu as an artist who could maintain her uniqueness while still appealing to the general public. Later that year, Erica would perform at the Sony Music Studios in New York to perform her next release, Live. She would perform the bulk of Baduism and a few covers, but there was one song that truly struck a chord with its listeners. I want to do a song that I just recorded. It's going to be my next single. We made this up on stage in London one night, just like <laughs> messing around. And um, Keys was playing this music for sound check, and I was like, that's dope. So we got on, I got on the mic and I just started just making up some stuff and this is how it turned out. Now keep in mind that I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my shit. <laughs> so y'all get nice about it. All right. Sisters, how y'all feel? Brothers, y'all all right? 
get tired of your shit You don't never buy me nothing See, every time you come around You got to bring Jim, James, Paul, and Tyrone See, why can't we be by ourselves sometimes? See, I've been having this on my mind for a long time. I just wanted to be you and me like it you used to be, baby. But you don't know how to act. So, matter of fact, you better call Tyrone. Call. Tyrone resonated with the audience present at the concert and those who would hear the recording once released. It was so well received, Erica would record a version of it in the studio as well. This would feature as a bonus track on the album and have a standalone single release. It was all freestyle. I just made it all up as I went. Oh, what? Yeah, and um, they caught it on, on tape in, in D.C. And it was on the radio the next day and went viral. That's how it happened. There was no internet or anything like that. So, so they caught the live performance. After the live performance, I went in the studio and actually recorded it. And I didn't remember all of the things, so it's a little different on the recorded version. But it was all in a moment. You know, that's that's the beauty of live performance. That's one of the amazing moments where it was caught on tape. Light my cone, sing my song. I don't give a damn if I'm right or wrong. would reach number one on the US Billboard Top R&B Hip Hop Albums chart. The track would be played relentlessly on black radio and reach number one on R&B airplay charts. Arguably, it's Erica Badu's most renowned song. was a really whirlwind year for me. The album came out February 11th. The single came out February 7th. I got pregnant March 1997. So the whole first year of my career, I was pregnant on the road. I had my baby November 18th, 1997. My second album came out November 18th, 1997. Same day the baby was born, uh, the live album with Tyrone on it. When it's moving so fast like that, you're, you're not watching the shows and you, can't, you don't hear yourself on the radio, you're actually doing it. You're performing and I was at every radio show. I was at, I performed eight months out of that year. I worked very, very hard that year. I didn't get to really see any of the awards or limo rides or any of that kind of stuff. It was a, a lot of hard work. Upon the release of her sophomore album, Erica stated, most of the time, you don't even know your mama have a gun. And when she pulls it out and shows it to you, it's something serious. And the way life is to me right now, we're at a very detrimental time. Our sons and daughters are going to need something to take with them for protection, so they can put my album in their holster, or in their lap, or on their seat. It would be a better thing to have. In November of the year 2000, the Mama's Gun album was released. 
bag lady you gon' hurt your back dragging A couple of months prior, the album's lead single, Bag Lady, would be the first preview. The song was written almost immediately after the first album was completed, when Bardu says she was able to assess life a little better. She came to the realisation that her own struggles were derived or exacerbated by the emotional baggage she was carrying, which is the underlying metaphor of Bag Lady. I'm not talking about a homeless woman. I'm not talking about somebody at the airport. And speaking figuratively, I'm talking about us when we uh, take our excess baggage or problems into relationships with us. It's, it, it hurts because you're gonna have to carry that. And then sometimes it's heavy. So pack light. number one on the US Hot R&B Hip Hop Singles and Tracks charts and number six in the Hot 100, breaking Bardu into the top ten for the first time. It would be nominated for two Grammy Awards, marking it as a true highlight in her already colourful discography. going through a breakup with Andre. Well, you know, it was during the process of in a relationship and then on the way out of the relationship. So I was motivated heavily, you know, emotionally I was motivated. So that made for a very good body of work, you know, because I had something to say. The second single release from Mama's Gun would be Didn't You Know, which would later be nominated for a Grammy Award and for Best R&B Song alongside Bag Lady. producer, Erica enlisted Jay Diller in search of samples and beats. Instead, what she found was a teacher. I met him through Common. I went to Detroit because I wanted him to be on my album. I didn't know in what kind of way, and you always just hope that something works out great. If nothing, you have a good friendship with the person. We went in the basement, and every wall, from floor to ceiling, the records categorized. He was a scientist, like, you know, everything was perfect. He let me pick out some records, and it, there are so many records I had never heard before in my life. One was a Tarika Blue record, and I was like, oh wow, this is beautiful, and, and it became um, Didn't You Know. And not only did he let me pick the record, he let me pick the spot in the record and taught me how to sample the, the portion of the song. You know, very humble, you know, it wasn't this is my lab, it was, hey, well, if you like this, you can probably do it. That's where I got my first sampling lesson from Dylan.
didn't come without controversy though. Copyrights to the sample weren't initially sought after, and later a settlement fee would have to be paid from Barduino Record Company to the rights holders of Dreamflower. And I think, you know, it's almost the, the kindred spirit of Mad Lib. They are so serious about what they're doing to the point where they make beats all day long. This is what they do. They send out, they give out these CDs, volume one, two, three, four, five, volume 121. And when you pick a track, they don't know where the sample came from. They don't know nothing. You know, it's just a lot, a lot of beats. That could be the difficult part, not um, knowing where the sample came from. You don't want to get sued. So everybody in the record label is doing uh, research, trying to find out where these samples came from. And, you know, because this is just what they do. Lady Land Studio in Manhattan. That's where I polished Mama's Gun. That's Jimi Hendrix Studio. And I like Electric Lady Land. They don't even have all the best equipment in the world, but it's just the vibe of it. It's a place to go and work and feel at home. You can feel the spirit of, of what was happening there in the, in the 60s and 70s. There's this cat there. His name's Jimmy, and they, they claim it's the spirit of Jimi Hendrix. And if he likes your music, he'll come in your studio. If he doesn't, He'll come in for a minute and then leave. How did you fare in that test? Sometimes he stayed, sometimes he left. The final single released would be Clever, a reaffirming anthem for the insecure. Throughout the verses, she details every stereotypically unattractive characteristic about herself by any modern standard of beauty. she proclaims her most important attribute. But I'm clever When I bust a rhyme I'm clever Always on your mind She's clever And I really wanna grow But why come I'm the last to know Ultimately, the song concludes with a proclamation of her not caring about physicality. Content of character triumphs any socialised standard of external beauty, and this song celebrates that. She's not saying she's ugly or odious in any way, she's just like the majority of people, imperfect but not incomplete. With that said, as out of this world as Erica often portrays herself, she's still profoundly physically beautiful. The composition of this song is notable for featuring the legendary Roy Ayers on vibraphone, who would continue to collaborate with Erica going forward. Mama's Gun is a more than worthy follow-up to such a high-standard set by Barduism. Its natural progression to something more physically and lyrically sophisticated without alienating all those who love the former. By the end of 2000, it would be featured in several publications, listed as one of the great albums of that year. While Erica was initially disappointed by the lacking sales compared to Barduism, 
Her fans' reaction was evidence enough that something about the work had resonated significantly, which shouldn't come as a surprise given its quality from beginning to end. I got into my live uh, instrumentation for Mama's Gun. I started working with Questlove. He was on the first album too. We got in a studio and we recorded everything in a room about this big, all at the same time. I had a mic, Quest was on the drums behind a gobo. Pino was standing beside me, and um, James Parson was on the roads. And we recorded a lot of the Mama's Gun songs like that. In early 2003, Erica embarked on her Frustrated Artist Tour, the title referring to a momentary struggle with writer's block. The shows were used as an opportunity to seek inspiration and try out new material. For the material that did eventuate, it would be compiled into Worldwide Underground, released in September. Danger would be released as the first single from Worldwide Underground and is a continuation of Other Side of the Game, even sampling it in the introduction. This time, her man has been arrested, and it seems that her previously conflicted attitudes are now solidified. She's standing by him, her and the baby waiting for his return. Instrumental exudes the intensity of the storyline and perhaps a change in Badu's character. Other side of the game projected a naive, loving woman. In danger, it seems apparent that she's adopted some of her man's mentality and will do whatever it takes to protect the three of them, even using her own mama's gun. as a lead single. While it's not too far outside of what critics might characterise her range as, its aggressive nature was perhaps too much of a shock to people's senses or expectations. to record while I was touring. You know, any city I'd go to, if there was an artist I wanted to work with, I would, they would just jump on the bus and would, you know, do something. I remember going to Miami uh, and Lenny Kravitz was uh, in town. He jumped on the bus and played on this song. Karen Wheeler from Soul to Soul got on the song. Queen Latifah, uh, Bahamadia, 
I really enjoyed that time driving on the bus and you know after every show I would have a person meet and greet with the audience and then we would go straight to the bus, ride all night on the court and laugh and talk and it was a great time. supposed to be an EP and I'm a perfectionist so this EP just got longer and longer and the interludes got longer and the, and that whole album was just kind of demo kind of underground kind of stuff and that's why we called it Worldwide Underground and we really liked it a lot and um so when we put it out it was an EP but it was long enough for an album Instrumentally, the album is probably best described as one long jam session, which would make sense given much of its inception. And that's not to say it doesn't have singular shining moments. There would be three singles generated from the album, and there was arguably potential for more. I Want You was one of my favorite songs from that album. There's a lot of good stuff. The Dead Press stuff with the grind and Danger. Danger, I think, was one of my most sinister songs of my career. seems to be more in the range of her MC abilities rather than the previously compared Billie Holiday-esque singing. first three albums are classics. Although she wouldn't release another until 2008, what she had put out up to that point was plentiful and replayable, the latter of which making her artistry stand out at a time of disposable pop music. She's the result of what happens when you dedicate yourself to your art, when you live it, when it flows through you like oxygen. Badu's wisdom and life experiences may be worldly, but it's articulated in a manner that sticks with the listener enabling them to reflect once the respective album or song is finished. If you listen to her lyrics, you will learn as much about Erica Badu as you will about yourself. And that is the criteria for great art. I know you're little girl. 
right from the start right from the start and even when you don't believe like what do you say you, you can't don't believe mm. you believe in yourself right from the start don't allow anything to infiltrate it not even you right from the start Thank you for listening to John Cameron's Musicology. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or sharing on social media.